Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My friends in Christ, freedom is in the air. This is the Sunday before the 4th. We celebrate our freedom from the rule of King George III. In our cover newsletter article, if you've got a chance to read it, we find it there. Ken Klaus starts with the celebration of our freedom to tell the story of our Savior. Um, by the way, if you missed the other two historical quotes, uh, the first one, only one life to give, that's Nathan Hale, hung as a spy in New York City. And uh, the hang together or hang separately, that's, of course, Benjamin Franklin. But freedom is also in our text from Galatians 5. In fact, it's twice in our opening verse. Freedom is highly prized in our society. When we consider what freedom means, we, we generally understand freedom as freedom from something or from some person. From England, the story of the American Revolution. From parental controls as we mature into adulthood. From the tyranny of the time clock, for those of you who are retired, freedom is directional. It is from, and it is also going to. Freedom, especially in our context, is markedly individual. The third citation, the Patrick Henry quotation that Ken Klaus expands on, is decidedly individual. He speaks of his death, and the point that Pastor Klaus wants to make revolves around his death and his statement of faith. We celebrate our nation's independence, but we tend to focus more on the Bill of Rights, individual rights over governmental powers, the Bill of Rights, and not the Constitution. But the question of freedom versus the yoke of slavery in Galatians chapter 5 is on a much larger scale. It's more than individual though that is also included in it. This, however, is not really intuitive. Listen again to verses 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. I am. You are the ones walking, right? Well, the desire of the flesh is, is this flesh he's talking about, isn't he? And the, despite the editorial capital S in the spirit, we tend to internalize this conflict. Well, if that's what Paul's writing about. How's it going? Well, we win some and we lose some, right? But is that enough to stand before a righteous God? A God who declares, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy? And, and asking that question pushes us back to the circumstances of this letter. You recall Judaizers show up after Paul leaves the area. They insisted upon circumcision and other dietary laws to complete, to fill up what their baptism had only started. It was Christ plus something. Well, Christ plus something is still evident in our world. Christ plus victorious living, or Christ plus sacrificial giving. Christ plus, however, is a deadly trap because it pulls us into ourselves and away from the real conflict that underlies this text. It's not my battle or yours. When Paul writes about flesh and spirit here in chapter 5, he's not referring to different parts of the human body. Flesh is not code for our sinful nature. Rather, flesh is an existence apart from Christ and his spirit. It is a sphere of influence. Andrew Das calls it, quote, an active quasi-personified force that challenges God and his people, 
close quote. Paul also speaks this way in the second letter to Corinth. We may yet be in the flesh, but we do not wage war, our battle according to the flesh. Thus goes on to summarize, Paul is describing the result of a cosmic battle between the present evil age and the dawning new creation in Christ. And one of these parties is clearly the victor. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. This is the context, the background for our reading. Christ and his victory over sin and death. And like Peter walking on the water in Matthew 14, our eyes must remain on Christ and not on the violent turmoil all about us or on the struggle within us. Only with our eyes on Christ and his victory can we begin to ask the individual, the personal, the congregational questions that this text causes to arise in our hearts and minds. As I said earlier, freedom is directional. It's freedom from what? Well, the answer for Paul and for us are from the works of the flesh. The litany of works in verses 19 through 29 appear at first reading to be chaotic, perhaps reflecting the chaotic nature of evil itself. The litany starts with three sexual sins, followed by two sins against God, and ends with two sins of excess. The lists such as these were, were common, actually, in philosophical and ethical writings of Paul's day. But what is unique and not found in any of those contemporary lists are the eight social or relational sins sandwiched in before the last sins of excess. These works have nothing to do with satisfying one's physical desire, the object of, we thought, of verses 16 and 17. Paul's not speaking of human flesh. Rather, of flesh is a power that asserts itself over and through our humanity. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Paul is likely zeroing in on the real problem troubling the Galatian churches. And here we need to pause, to reflect, and to confess. The unity of our fellowship has been broken from time to time. We've known strife and seen divisions in our congregation that went beyond mere differences of opinions. Enmity has led to exit. Anger to absence. These works of the flesh come out of our hearts and onto our lips to be carried out by our hands and our feet. The entire list are publicly manifest sins. This is the turmoil about us and the struggle within us. But keeping our eyes on Christ and his cross, we hear the words of St. John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we take heart. The Spirit of Christ is the victor over the flesh. Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. In Christ, through water and word, you are free. With his body and his blood, you are fed. By his righteousness, you are redeemed. Freedom from is both temporal and directional. Temporal, remembering what lies in our past. In sin we were conceived, but now we have been baptized. The same was true for the Galatians, but the danger for them was directional. 
from became a return to the law, to the guardian of chapter 3, who, watching over our going in and our coming out, as a guardian who ultimately could not free them from the law because it could not provide the power to fulfill the law. But now Christ's victory has come. St. Augustine points out that, quote, he did not say, walk in the Spirit so that you do not have desires of the flesh, but so that you will not gratify them. Not to have them at all, indeed, is not the struggle, but the prize of struggle, if we shall have obtained the victory through perseverance under grace. Close quote. Freedom from unshackled them. It unshackles us from our selfish, our self-loving, self-serving nature, from the danger of self-defined religion, from legalism, every stripe, every religious, political, socioeconomic, and ideological agenda that the world has to offer. Freedom not couched, and thou shalt not, or thou shalt, rather freedom from, in order to be freedom for the fruit of the Spirit. Not ours, but Christ in us. Notice that it is a singular fruit with many facets. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The singular fruit does not come piecemeal. The chaotic list of the works of the flesh is replaced by the ordered symmetry of this list into three groups of three. But this fruit, as manifest in our lives, is not undirected. The bondage of the law is broken, but its use as a norm or standard remains. The path of the Spirit is by no means contrary to what the law requires. The fruit of the Spirit will, in fact, satisfy the true intentions of the law. We're free from posturing about who and what we are based on what we have and what we do, including our looks, our intelligence, and our talents, all gifts, incidentally, which is why we call such people gifted. It's not about the haves and the have-nots, or the hazards and the have-beens. It's about the ongoing battle we know and we feel. Yet we're not to dwell on the last losing struggle. That would be to return to Galatia. Freedom from is the past is past and covered in Christ's righteousness. To dwell on the flesh is nothing less than defeat. Freedom is directional. It's freedom for forward. It's freedom for service. Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Service is willingly sacrificing one's ego and honor, casting off one's status and giving of one's resources. God is drawing us forward, drawing us into fellowship. The gospel is inherently community-oriented, community-building as we reflect the will of a God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Our Vacation Bible School just concluded on Friday is an excellent example. More than half the kids were from outside our fellowship. Yet together we played and learned and sang about our Lord and Savior. Freedom for service is to go after the fruit of the Spirit. Go for it. You're free. Just do it, to borrow a slogan from over the hill. Love God. Serve the neighbor. Listen closely to those with whom you disagree. So closely, you can really understand why it is so important to them. Listening is a prerequisite to love. 
Take time to know the person in the next pew. Invite your neighbors over for food and talk. Engage those with whom you work in the name of Christ who set all of us free. In his preface to the book of Romans, Luther was writing about faith, but the faith that he describes is really the fruit of the Spirit. It is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith, this fruit of the Spirit. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. It doesn't ask whether good works are to be done. But before the question is asked, it has already done them and continues to do them. Constantly producing the fruit of the Spirit. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It's a cosmic battle, but the victor has been declared by his bodily resurrection from the dead and his glorious ascension into heaven. It's a freedom from the works of the law. It's a freedom for producing the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, in Christ, by the Spirit, be fruitful. Amen.